Amelena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. What does it mean for a machine to be creative? Maya Ackerman, CEO of Wave AI, addresses this question. We talked about the challenges of building systems that have creativity. Maya explained how she began exploring the idea of computational creativity by building a system that makes songwriting accessible to more people. This system, called Alicia, plays the role of a creative partner and helps a person write music. We talked about how the system was built using machine learning and the ways in which it is creative. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank Blind for being a sponsor. Blind is an anonymous app for tech workers to discuss, debate, and talk about compensation, corporate policies, workplace harassment, and more. I've used it for over a year and find it really helpful. There are 50,000 companies active on Blind. Check if yours is there and connect with other employees. Blind is available for iOS, Android, and online at teamblind.com. Go to teamblind.com to download the app. Thank you. Maya Ackerman, CEO at Wave AI and faculty at Santa Clara University, is joining us today. Maya, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. And the first topic that I want to begin talking about is computational creativity. You specialize in machine learning and you're exploring applications in this area of computational creativity. What are some examples of applications that we can see here? Computational creativity, it's a really fascinating field. It spans pretty much anywhere, any field that traditionally required human creativity is currently tackled by um, computational creativity. So, for example, one of my favorite examples is uh, The Painting Fool by Simon Colton. And that's uh, a computer program that autonomously creates paintings by itself. So it doesn't help people to paint, but rather it paints by itself. And there's been a lot of effort uh, to make that program explain its art and incorporate emotional elements into the art as well. Uh, so that's kind of that's a very interesting domain, creating artists, so meta-creation. And of course, my field uh, is more focused on musical meta-creation. So creating systems that create music or help us humans to create music. So those are just some examples. There are so many more. <laughs> We're going to talk about the music component later on. First, I just wanted to clarify about this program that creates paintings. Can you just give us a sense of what these paintings look like? Some of the ones that can be created by this computer. Well, there is a, there's a website. The Painting Fool has a website, which I'd be happy to share for the notes underneath. But there are lovely paintings that have been commissioned and they've been displayed in galleries. There's another system uh, that does... Uh, called Aaron that also autonomously draws and which has a different style, which has a style that's a little bit more hand-drawn, whereas a painting fool creates some works that could not have been created by a human, stuff that's kind of specific to a computer's ability to be an artist. What are some of the challenges that we're seeing in building systems that have to be creative or that are, are trying to be creative? So, you know, it's very interesting because computers are not more creative than us and are not less creative than us. They're creative in a different way. So, for example, generation. So creating a lot of artifacts 
is actually relatively easy for a computer. So a computer for, could, for example, create many, many pieces of music or many, many paintings. But the challenge that it has is evaluating itself, evaluating its creations. On the other hand, a human might have a hard time creating one artifact. But once they see a piece of art or hear a piece of music, humans typically don't have as much of a hard time determining whether it's good. Uh, so evaluation is a very big challenge in computational creativity. And it's interesting also the straight up that you mentioned the computer can easily get started, whereas for humans, there might be all this emotion on getting started, like, am I going to be good? Is this going to be good enough? Do I even start doing this, you know, painting or anything? There's all that process prior to getting started. That's really interesting that you bring it up. Uh, actually, I've never heard that particular point being made before, how certain hindrances that we have as humans are eliminated when we're looking at computer systems. Let's talk now about the music creation portion, which is something that you've been working on for several years. And I saw your work in Alicia, which is an AI system that makes songwriting accessible to everyone. First, I want to understand in what ways is songwriting not accessible to everyone? That's a really, really good question. So songwriting is appears to be simple on the surface. When we hear a song on the radio, we think, oh, great. Um, somebody was inspired and created it. But it actually takes many, many different kind of skills, which are not always closely related. So to create one song, just one song, you need to be a composer. You need to be a lyricist. You need a singer and you need a producer. That's a bare minimum to create one song. And it's very rare to have one person who has all of these skills, even amongst professionals. It's rare to have everything. But definitely somebody brand new, um, either a young person or somebody later on in life wanting to get into songwriting, feeling this really strong urge to express themselves through song, you quickly realize that there is just so much to master before you can express yourself through the part of the medium that, that really interests you. So me, for example, I got training in singing, and that's really my passion. But I wanted to write my own original song so I can really express what I feel when I sing. And it really caught me by surprise how much I had to learn. And I ended up getting stuck on composition. So coming up with original melodies for lyrics. And I actually got to a point where I nearly gave up on the whole thing before um, coming up with Alicia, which ended up sort of rescuing the situation because finally I was able to create original songs with it. Prior to this, when you were trying to create melodies, what was your process? Were you playing the piano or were you trying to transcribe the notes themselves or were you just dragging and dropping things in a UI to create music on the computer? How hard did I try? That's, that's a good question. So um, I can sing and I can play piano. So uh, I definitely sort of have the basic syntax to write the music. I have some basic understanding of music theory. And uh, to be sort of more precise, it's not that I couldn't come up with a melody. Everybody can come up with some kind of melody. At the very least, we could take the same note and keep repeating it, right? But the problem was that the melodies that were coming to me, they were not in the style that I wanted them to be. They weren't expressing the emotions that I wanted them to express. And frankly, I just didn't like them. So I wasn't able to do, to do what I wanted to do. Um, the more technical way of looking at it is that I wasn't able to properly explore the creative space. I wasn't able to come up, what are my options? 
sort of, what are some good ideas that I can play with? And that wasn't coming. I was sort of stuck in this very monotone, very boring kind of melodies that were easily coming to me. I even took piano improvisation. And I remember getting very frustrated because even though I did sort of learn how to improvise, my improvisations kept having very much the same style. And what Alicia is able to do for me and for other people as well is give us many, many, many fresh ideas, completely new ways of seeing a melody for a piece of lyrics, uh, which is incredibly inspiring and very helpful. We're going to talk about Alicia in a little more detail in just a bit. First, I want to also understand the panorama of the songwriting process. Like you mentioned, it's still very difficult. There's a lot of skills involved. However, we have come a long way in terms of technological advances and new tools that have simplify music production. Can you talk a little bit about these tools that you came across with while you were trying to create music? Absolutely. So one of the things that I did as part of my effort to create original music was learn how to produce. So, you know, learn how to be a music producer. And um, so just to briefly outline the, the pipeline of composing something is very different than producing it. So composing it, you can think of it as the music on uh, a music sheet, while producing is sort of a replacement for having a band that plays the instruments. So very different components of the process. And uh, there's so many wonderful tools. Uh, collectively, they're referred to as digital audio workstations. And the most accessible, uh, the most widely known perhaps, is GarageBand. And that's what I also started from. And I was really surprised sort of how accessible and how quickly I could put together a songs. And to this day, the very first song that I produced, which was kind of my own uh, electronic take on uh, Pia Yezu, a classical song. I still really like that, that first piece. But there's a lot more tools that uh, can get progressively more and more complicated. One of the nicest, the more sophisticated tools out there is called Ableton. We also have Reason. We have Logic Pro, which I use and really like. So a whole world out there so that people don't no longer have to learn how to play musical instruments because you can produce a piece completely on the computer, having the instrument effectively, having your computer essentially play all the instruments for you. And I also want to highlight that you also don't need to know how to read music, right? That's right. So that's important, right? Because we don't want to force people to develop other skills in this process. It's not necessary. In the middle of your PhD, you decided to take voice lessons. Can you talk a little bit what that was like? So singing has always been really important to me. Uh, it actually traces back to when I was a little girl. I was about 10 years old when I started to sing as part of my school in Israel and ended up on Israeli national television around age 11. But that sort of dropped out of my life when my family immigrated to Canada. And I was about 27 years old, already married with a child, uh, around the middle of my PhD in computer science, when my husband decided to take voice lessons. And I felt sort of envious because singing was always important to me, but it was actually dormant for many years. I haven't sang for, uh, for over a decade at that point. And so I took my first voice lesson and quickly realized that I have a long way to go, that I have a lot to learn. But I was really in love with singing. So I spent about an hour a day singing, despite a fairly heavy workload with my PhD. 
And after about nine months, uh, started cracking it. Uh, people started inviting me to sing, and I became semi-professional. Yeah, that's how that happened. What genre of singing was this? It was primarily opera, sort of musical theater, but definitely opera leaning. I never expected to fall in love with singing opera, but there was something just so magical about singing opera about using your body to create these really powerful beautiful sounds it's really quite spiritual yeah and it takes a lot of work i was reading a book to improve my voice for this podcast and it was talking about an opera singer lying down on the floor with a pile of books on top of her stomach i think and she she's just trying to move them up and down with breathing techniques so it's you have to exercise a lot those muscles I thought was very interesting. For us, it's very foundational. It's, it's another, for some reason, when it comes to arts, people, we are sometimes, society teaches us that there is something natural about it, that it's all talent. It's 99% hard work. Yes. I want to talk about Alicia now, which is this AI system that you build. And you build this with this motivation of helping yourself make music, make original music. This is an AI system and it uses machine learning. First, I just want to clarify these things with you. What is machine learning? Machine learning is a subfield of artificial intelligence, and uh, perhaps it is best known for what's known as supervised learning. And um, it's uh, basically the ability of computers to predict events. So one of the most classical examples is to predict whether a stock is going to go up or down, or to predict whether a picture is appropriate to display on a certain website or to predict whether you're going to enjoy watching a certain movie or whether you're going to enjoy listening to a particular song. So those are kind of the classical examples of supervised learning. When applied to music and the arts, we often have to do to sort of twist machine learning on its head for it to be able to engage in these creative activities. I see. And... In this case, for Alicia, you're using machine learning for algorithmic composition. In one of the papers that you wrote, you mentioned that algorithmic composition dates back to the 1950s. What kind of techniques were being used back then? So some of the earliest techniques were what are called nowadays uh, expert systems. So an expert system is when you take somebody who is an expert and you essentially encode their knowledge into a computer, which sounds very impressive. And it has led to massive improvements. There's, for example, a wonderful system by David Cope called Amy, Experiments in Music. And uh, he was able to create, uh, to autonomously create songs that are indistinguishable from Bach and other classical composers using these kind of older techniques. So they can really be very powerful. But um, one thing that limits um, expert systems somewhat is humans' limited ability in uh, being in introspective. So very often an expert is able to do something, but they don't know exactly how they do that. And that's where machine learning can come in because I was able, for example, me and my team were able to create Alicia without having any composers directly on our team. And that's because with a machine learning system, you can teach the computer, the computer can learn how to do something by analyzing data. So it's uh, the process is, is instead of being prescriptive, it goes backwards. It goes from the creations to the process. So the, the computer, to a large degree, figures out 
in my case, a composition process by itself without having to be guided through it step by step. Exactly. That's a core component of machine learning and AI, this ability for a machine to learn from data and analyze this data. In terms of the music field, what aspects of music can be analyzed using this approach? What are the data points? So virtually, I mean, if we look at the computational musicology literature as a whole, virtually every variation has been tried. But in our case, we primarily focus on music sheets. So um, Alicia effectively reads a whole bunch of music as it is written on paper. And it's important that it's music with lyrics because Alicia is all about learning this relationship between words and melodies and ultimately the kind of melodies that we need to create for different sentences. And so we need music with words associated with it that it then processes. And of course, you know, we have our proprietary algorithm, which then enables the machine learning to make the right kind of inference from the data that it's analyzing. But in other systems, for example, um, there are systems that take wave files uh, that work directly from the signal processing and then create music for that because most other work, we are almost unique in our focus on lyrical music. All other work focuses on music without words and so they're able to take advantage of other formats. Prior to your system to create music and songs, the state of the art was using Markov chains. Can you explain the idea behind this approach? So Markov chains uh, were used primarily, and there has been some machine learning applied uh, to non-lyrical music as well. But Markov chains in particular, uh, the very bounded memory, and they're not able to take in as much information at the same time. And music is very rich. So in that sense, it's very important to allow the algorithm to incorporate a lot of disjoint information that they can then put together. With Markov chains, uh, they are, uh, they're fairly, you could think of it as you have states and then you have transitions between the states. And so they tend to be imitative. If you train a Markov model on poems, let's say, you're going to get poems that are very, very similar. In fact, sometimes with chunks uh, being directly copied from the existing poetry. And you find the same thing with melodies as well. If you train Marco Chain on a melody, there is the same sort of like um, very close imitation. Once, once you want to incorporate lyrics, it's just not possible. The model is not, the technical term for it, it's not a strong enough model to be able to incorporate all the information about the music and all the complex information about the natural language at the same time in order to extract meaningful relationships between the two. You mentioned that Markov chains tend to imitate and that they are built with this notion of states. Can you give an example of what a state would be if what the Markov chain is doing is trying to create music? So, for example, you would have a state that you would, each state could correspond to, let's say, a chord. So you have a state corresponding to the chord C and you have another state corresponding to the chord A and the transition between them so that the way that you go from one state to the other is how often is one of these chords followed by the other chords. You wrote a paper titled Algorithmic Songwriting with Alicia. Here you explain that the system is based on machine learning using random forests. Can you explain what random forests are? So random forests was the original model that we used for Alicia when we had very little data. It's sort of the go-to method when you need a machine learning system and you don't have a lot of data to extract information from. 
because while it's a more sophisticated model than Markov chains, it's not as complicated as, for example, neural networks, particularly with a lot of layers, which is referred to as deep learning. And so random forest, it's a, so each component of a random forest is a decision tree, which is a, a pretty simple model because it's a, sort of the, the simplest way of thinking about uh, a decision tree is as a, sort of a visit to a doctor. So the doctor would ask you, are you coughing? And then based on that, the doctor would decide what next question to ask, right? Uh, so you kind of imagine it as multiple branches of the tree, one branch for yes and one branch for no. And then the next question might be, for example, do you have fever? And again, depending on what you answer, uh, the doctor will follow up with other questions. That's a decision tree. Each decision tree has this type of structure. Of course, the questions are, the features, the questions are different uh, when it's outside of medicine. And you, so you have a lot of these trees and together, each tree constitutes an expert, and, and all together, they're like a panel of experts. And so whenever it's time to make any sort of decision, each one of the decision trees makes a vote, and you typically take a majority vote uh, to make the prediction, two-second version of decision trees. <laughs> yeah, and another example would be, oh, if it's sunny today, I'm going to wear this. If it's raining, I'll wear that. In terms of the music composition problem, what is essentially the random forest deciding on? So in case of music composition, again, there could be many different things, but, but one easy way of looking at it is it's trying to figure out what should be the next chord or what should be the next note. Uh, there's a lot of decisions of this form that uh, can be sort of converted into a prediction problem. And this machine learning model, you mentioned at the beginning when it was random forest, there was not a lot of data. The data that you did have what did it consist of? Uh, so the data is always uh, music sheets, the kind of music sheets you could be playing on the piano, for example, as long as it has lyrics associated with it. Was this from a particular genre of music? So the music that we're using right now is a mixed bag. So it has many different genres in it because once you have your models, you can actually control genres. Uh, there's a lot of ways uh, to control genres uh, that are not as closely tied to the data as we had originally imagined. Because what makes a genre, and that's what's sort of a very interesting learning process, a lot of things come together to create a genre. Melodies are only part of that. Um, for example, even how a singer chooses to sing can completely transform the way that you would interpret the genre of a song. And, and actually, a lot of producers and a lot of um, composers are aware that a good melody, so a good lead sheet, can actually transcend genre and sound good across different genres if it's produced or sang in a way that matches it. I see. And just to expand on this implementation of the machine learning model, it consists of two models. The first one that I saw was the rhythm model. Can you explain what this rhythm model consists of? Uh, that's right. So we originally had two different models. We had one for rhythm and one for uh, one for melody. And again, our, our methods have evolved quite a bit since then. So if you're trying to predict rhythm, it, if essentially you're trying to, to identify what should be the next, what kind of rhythm should the next note have? And that's the kind of information that, uh, that the model allows you to give. Is that sort of the beat of the song? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And how do they, do these models interact with each other, the rhythm one and the melody one? Or is it completely separate? Oh, most definitely. So, I mean, yeah, there's definitely interaction in the way that they're used and the way that they're trained. Yeah. 
definitely. In what ways can you establish that the melodies and the music produces original? Is it original? How can you establish it's original? It's, it's a really, really good question, actually. So the way that we think about it is probabilistically. So even though the system is trained on a whole bunch of music, the way that the music gets generated does not combine multiple notes even of existing songs. So the probability of it even accidentally imitating even a sequence of 10 notes in any existing song is just incredibly, incredibly small because of music is just so diverse. And even in our own system, the probability of, and that sort of, I think, drives the point home, whenever a user accidentally loses something that Alicia generated, they forgot to save it or something like that, the, it's virtually impossible to make Alicia regenerate it because there are just, the, the search space of music is just so vast that the probability of recreating something is astronomically small. Unless, of course, you're making an active effort to be imitative, which, which naturally Alicia is not. I know that earlier you mentioned the algorithm is proprietary and we were talking about how this random forest approach was the initial approach. Can you give a general overview of how this approach changed? Well, one of the things that, uh, that happened is that as you gain more and more insight into the problem, any problem, machine learning or otherwise, in, the, in any field that genuinely takes research, uh, things get more complicated. You can use more complicated models. Uh, you experiment. Um, we got a lot of feedback from people, a lot of feedback from musicians. And uh, by now it has just so many distinct components. Machine learning remains a really important part, but we sort of went beyond that as well uh, in order to give the best results possible. And it's going to continue to evolve. Um, pretty much any uh, any company that has an artificial intelligence, it's a moving target. Um, what research they used last year is is not what they're using today. Before we finish, I want to understand the interaction between humans and Alicia, this system for creating music. Can you describe what the role of the system is and how it interacts with the human? Yeah, so the way it works is, um, well, there is a tech demo that we have up online right now, trialisa.com. Of course, everyone is welcome to try that. And then there is uh, the app that we're planning to release in September. And the process is a little bit different for them because uh, we greatly, um, we worked hard to improve the user experience in the app that's coming out in September. But the basics of it, sort of the, the foundational idea is that you type your lyrics and Alicia gives you many different options for melodies to which you could sing these lyrics. And then you can essentially piece together a song. So you select a melody for your first piece of lyrics, and then you can type your next line of lyrics, and again, select a melody that you like for those, and continue in this fashion. So that was sort of the original core of Alicia, but we have a lot more now. In particular, we have a module that's going to come out as part of the app that can give you ideas for the next line of lyrics. And it's a really fascinating system because it actually captures your style and gives you back melodies that capture elements of your style. So if you type things that are very sophisticated or very poetic, then the suggestions that Alicia gives you are also in that style. Whereas if you prefer something kind of more crisp and direct and simpler, then Alicia catches onto that as well and gives suggestions that fit with that too. So that's going to be another part of, of the Alicia app. And we do also plan to make it so that you can sing your own song, so you can karaoke on top of the songs that you create with Alicia. Nice, that sounds awesome. Just one more question that I have is, 
I heard you mention before in other conferences that you want to keep the human in the loop during this process and that Alicia is kind of fitting the role of a creative partner with the human. Why do you want to keep the human in the loop in this? I mean, I think one of the most beautiful things about music is that it lets us express how we feel. It lets us share our innermost experience with other people around us. And um, as technological um, the revolutions in music happened, for example, even with the introduction of the acoustic piano, believe it or not, it took a while uh, for people to see that the piano is all about helping us express who we are, that it's okay for the piano to do some of the work for us, that it's okay for the piano hammer to hit the piano string for us. And that's always been the goal with Alicia. What Alicia is doing, some of us can do. There are amazing human composers who don't need Alicia. But some of us don't know how to do that. And it is created for these people who want to express themselves through song, but don't have the time to master all the different pieces uh, that are required to create a single song. And that's a purpose. That's a goal. It's, it's really an overwhelmingly joyful feeling to be able to solve a problem for other people, which has been so challenging for me for so long. And there's so much left to do within this domain, within, within the domain of supporting humans that I think... Uh, we can be busy for several decades, making it easier and easier uh, and making songwriting more and more accessible to more and more people. Exactly. That's a great point. Well, Maya, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It's been great chatting with you about AI and creative computing. Well, thank you very much. It's been really a pleasure being on your show. And uh, everybody's welcome to try out Alicia at tryalicia.com. And uh, we will announce the app as soon as it's released. And that's expected to be an iOS app in September 2018. Thank you very much. Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Go to teamblind.com. That's teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out. 